Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Hello, Jamba. Hello, Ivy Church. Good to see you. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Welcome you today as we continue in our series looking at the Beatitudes. Um, last week we looked at what most of us refer to as Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and I said it's really not the do attitudes, it's the be attitudes. It's not a list of ways we must try to do things in our own strength or power. Every line only underlines how much each one of us desperately needs the power of God to live God's way. But as we hang about with Jesus as his disciples with others who are also his disciples, over time these are the way that the relationships there begin to help us to be a new kind of person who, whatever happens, I'm blessed. We saw that it's not actually a sermon as such anyway. Jesus was explaining the new possibilities for life and what it can be like when we don't just know God as creator, but as father and that we are his children. G.K. Chesterton wrote, on the first reading of the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down, but the second time you read it, you discover it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it is impossible, but the second time you feel that nothing else is possible. I don't know how many times you've read the Beatitudes, but I already had to start to have my life turned around in many ways as I've been reading from last week when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because that seems like the wrong way up, doesn't it? But actually we are blessed when we recognise our true poverty before God because he crowns us as royalty. In all the rest of these Next, right side up verses, we're going to hear Jesus tell us the ways we share in the happiness of God. Who, by the way, did you know the Bible calls the happy God? 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 says that, that God's our happy God and that's good news for us because we can put our trust in him and we find out this happy God, he helps us when we're poor in spirit. And again, the word poor there is like being a beggar, but he comes and he treats us as royalty when we do that. So now we're going to look at the next one. And really, this one makes very little sense at all without God. It's a complete paradox. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, people who mourn don't seem blessed, do they? Does Jesus really mean to say, happy are the sad? How does that work? Now, when you read around what scholars have written on this, lots of them, pretty much everybody I've read, wants to say the mourning is similar to that of being poor in spirit. Like when you're feeling wrecked about your sinfulness and how much you need God. Like, like Isaiah, when he came, came into the temple, and he saw God as holy, 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 and then he mourned about how I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Now, maybe there is something about that. I've known what it is to have God show me my sin and I've cried over it, I've dry heaved over how much of a great sinner I've been. No point denying that, we need to come and repent of those things and we come to the cross about the things that I should have done that I didn't do and the things that I should never have done and and then I come to the cross and I get pardon and forgiveness for my foolishness and for my sin and if you've never seen that too, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to wonder whether you really are a follower of Jesus yet. If you've never been broken, if you've never mourned over your sin, you probably never saw it like God sees it. So yes, it could involve mourning over my sin and being comforted by knowing that nothing I could ever do will stop God loving me because Jesus paid it all. But most times the Greek word pentheo for mourning here, I, I know 
we can mourn the loss of a, a job or, or a dog or whatever but basically this is mourning for the dead and it describes a grief so deep you can't hide it you can't put a brave face on that broken heart and god cares about that brene brown in her amazing new book atlas of the heart features in here this this amazing sculptures self-created featuring mothers or wives who've been told their husband or child has died the artist herself is one who lost her son in the Lockerbie air disaster she's one of the women and she spoke about what happened when all of them when she talked about them when they heard about the person dying they're all on end up on the floor they sank to the floor like they were sucked into the ground very often people will just crumple as the ability to breathe or feel goes and you're just brought to your knees or you collapse because of the shock. Brené Brown says that's what this anguish does and even if you can get up physically most people need a lot of help and support to re-engage and somehow get back on their feet emotionally and just to be able to breathe again and feel your body after this kind of trauma. I felt something of it myself a few times in recent years but I saw it all too often when I was too young to understand it when I was in the police and at the age of 19 I remember going to give the first what you'd call a death message and if you ever went to deliver the kind of news nobody wants to hear actually you'd be sure to say maybe it'd be better if you sit down because it, it takes people's legs away from under them and you, you can't move you can't do anything you don't even know how to get up or if you ever will maybe time and people can help and I'm sure they can but really once I became a Christian while I was in the place I started carrying a little Bible around with me and I'd offer to read a psalm or something from it or to pray for people and you know what I never had anybody say no thank you in those moments and even if they I had to do it because otherwise I knew I was empty the only hope and consolation I'd ever have is that God meets us there right where we are on the floor I don't know how anybody else gets through life's tragedies any other way it's hard enough with God who whether or not we feel him or know it at the time Psalm 34 says he's close to the brokenhearted and again we see a massive contrast here with how the world works and how God works See, the world's idea of how to be happy is happy are the comfortable but Jesus says no life won't always be comfortable here the world is is hard it's not your home anyway how can it be but meanwhile happy are the comforted and I say it meanwhile because maybe the only hope for comfort for some of the mourning is life is, is that there will come an end to it and a new life to come. And the blessing that comes to comfort us may not come during our lifetime, but it's waiting for us when we've been raised from the dead like Jesus himself. Now as somebody who's conducted literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of funerals over nearly 30 years of ministry, some, in, some of the most tragic circumstances you can imagine, I can say for certain, it's not true for everybody who mourns. Not everybody who mourns is comforted. Everybody weeps, everybody mourns eventually, but some, like it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, refuse to be comforted. All we have to do is live long enough and we'll lose somebody we care about. In fact, all we have to do is live long enough and we ourselves will die. But where do you go for comfort on days of grief and loss? I know there's some comfort for some in family and friends and flowers and some other people look for comfort in the bottom of a bottle or something like that. But God says, I am your father, come to me and be comforted. And so many people mourn and moan and mourn and, and are never comforted. Not just at the funeral, but afterwards. You see, there's no comfort where there's no hope. The Apostle Paul didn't write to the Thessalonians and say, do not grieve. That wouldn't be real. Everybody hurts. Denying grief is like swallowing poison and it rots you inside. When we just can't 
see the person anymore. We miss her smile or, or even his voice on the phone and we grieve because they've gone away and the grief doesn't just go away. You can settle inside you like you've got a sharp stone inside you that jags all the time. Somebody once told me a long time ago that's how it felt after they lost a child in a farm accident. But over years later, they said the edge wears off the stone, but it's always there as a weight. I remember somebody else telling me that it was like a wave come crashing all over her, making her soaking through and she didn't know what to do. And then slowly drying off and then feeling a bit guilty that you, that you felt normal again. But then another wave comes. See, these are just some of the natural feelings that come with loss. Even if you've only lost your phone or your keys, you've got an inkling of what grief, grief can be like. If you multiply it massively, by the emotions that we go through. So, you know, what are they? Denial. Well, my keys must be here somewhere. Anger. Has anybody seen my keys? Who moved my keys? Bargaining. Lord, if you will send an angel to help me find them again, I'll definitely get one of those little chains that attach to your, my belt and I'll never ever lose them again. Guilt or shame. How could I be so stupid and lose them again? Confusion. Don't ask me to think where I saw them last. I can't think of anything at the moment. Depression. My life is over now. I won't be able to get to work. I can't drive. Acceptance. Well, it's going to cost a fortune for the car keys and getting them changed, but that's just the way it has to be. See, the difference is not about the degree of loss, if it's a pet or a job or a person. It's usually the difference is I find my keys right in front of me, where Zoe said they were all the time. <laughs> just because somebody adjusts to a loss, however, doesn't mean that now they stop grieving and just move on. I don't mean you're necessarily sad about this for the rest of your life, but what happens is the grief kind of finds a place and fits in with the rest of your life. I say all of this because I think we need to get better at empathy and understanding and honouring one another's griefs, and especially our own too. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own sorrow. It's natural to grieve and to mourn. It's not weird to think you saw the person on the street. That's why scripture doesn't say we don't grieve, but it says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because we do have hope. We can hang on to that hope that's holding on to us. And what is that hope? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus was delusional, dead and buried and stayed that way, if he wasn't the Son of God, if he didn't prove it on the third day by rising again, then those who believe in him are most to be pitied in this world. He says, my preaching is just a waste of breath because as soon as you're dead, you'll find out that beardy atheist friend of yours in the Darwin t-shirt was right. Life just chants without purpose and then you're dead and that's the end. And that's when you'll discover that. Or rather you won't because you'll be dead like everybody else who ever lived, whatever they believed. Without the hope of Christ, you might as well have lived totally for yourself. Just max out the credit card, party hard, buy as many toys as possible. He even quotes one of their own po poets who says, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But then he says, speaking as an eyewitness of the resurrection, he says, but, but Christ died on the, on the cross for our sins, but he's not just a dead example, he's a living saviour. See, everybody dies, but Jesus tasted death and spat it out. But Christ has been raised from the dead and that changes everything. Have you put your trust in his death and resurrection yet? Are you living like you have? If we believe it, if we put our trust in it, I won't say we're never going to mourn, 
but we'll always be blessed because we can be comforted. We shall be comforted because we believe a man really died and was buried and rose again from the dead because we believe that he rose. We know he really was who he said he is because he rose. We believe our sins are forgiven. His resurrection is not just our lifetime guarantee, but because he rose, we have an everlasting hope. We have reason for living today. We have hope because the God who raises the dead somehow can breathe new life into everything and do miracles. Death is the great revealer. Death reveals whether or not we have hope, hope that will last. Death reveals what life is really all about for us. And death's a great leveler too, because 100% of us, everybody dies, whatever you believe. But God says not everybody stays dead because of what you believe. If you trust in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, he says you too will die and rise again. Every funeral I've conducted over those years starts with me walking in front of the coffin and we don't play I did it my way and we don't stay silent in the face of death. I'd never want to do a funeral if I couldn't offer the real comfort, the only comfort. I don't start with some poem of men, some cleverer words of my own, but with the promise of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. So is the expert on all this stuff. And then I declare the ultimate truth in the face of the ultimate statistic. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. That's how we start, because that's the only real lasting comfort I can offer at any funeral. But those who receive it are blessed and they shall be comforted. So I want to invite you to pray with me. And really, I don't think anything we could have talked about could have been more important, because it's not just a matter of life and death. It's life and death and life after death. So talk to Jesus now, because he lives, because he's there because he cares. The Bible says that Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The God we are relating to is not aloof and uncaring and untouched by the pain, the horrors, the hurt, the unfairness of this world. He died and he didn't even just die. Lord, we know you were brutally mistreated and tortured, completely innocent. You were murdered. They killed you. The Bible says our sin killed you, but you were raised for our forgiveness. You paid the debt we couldn't pay so we can be free. You rose again so we can always have hope. Thank you, Lord, you hold the keys of death and hell. So we don't have to go there because we've come to you and we will be with you, which the Bible says is better by far. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fear death anymore because we know it's just the gateway to eternity with you. We don't have to have the fear of the unknown. We're coming to the one that we know. So now I'm comforted by that. May you be comforted. 2 Corinthians, one of my favourite passages in the Bible. I'm going to pray that for you. So the God of all comfort will comfort you. So you'll be able to comfort others. Will you let him comfort you? Ask him. Give him your griefs, your losses, your gains, your mourning. Invite him to all of your life, even the hardest parts, because he loves you and nothing can separate you from him. Let me read this. Christ Jesus, who died, even more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is praying for you now. Come to him, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Nothing can separate us. Now, and forever. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. 
do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.